Hey guys, welcome to the Next Level Agents Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-host, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast all about getting to the next level. Sometimes we talk to real estate agents, sometimes brokers, sometimes people just in and around our space, and sometimes just entrepreneurs in general. But our point here is to talk to the brightest and the best and to pull gold nuggets out of them and bring them to you so that way you can take little actionable pieces of advice, sometimes big actionable pieces of advice and make your business even better and help you get to the next level. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, go over to ratethispodcast.com, ratethispodcast.com forward slash NLA, stands for Next Level Agents, and please leave us a five-star review if you have not already. All right, without further ado, welcome to today's episode. All right, guys, we are back on the Next Level Agents podcast, and I'm excited about today's episode. I get excited about a lot of episodes, but not not as much as this one, because uh, I get to introduce you guys to somebody who I've gotten to uh, talk to quite a bit over the last, I guess, eight, nine months now, um, my personal coach, uh, Camille Rose Taylor. Camille, how's it going? Good, good. I'm, I'm excited to be on, Kevin. Um and it's cool because even before we hit the record button, I mean, we have no idea what we're going to talk about on this podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to sort of let the organic conversation flow. Um, but thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's funny. Uh, somebody asked me, they wanted to send me questions before we recorded something. This was, I think, last week, hmm. maybe it was a week before. And I was like, you can send them, but I'm not going to look at them. Like part of, part of my excitement is I get to find out what I'm going to say the same time everybody else does. And so <laughs> uh, knowing that this, this conversation will go wherever it goes, I'm sure it'll be fun. So Camille, why don't, why don't we start with this? Can you, obviously I just introduced you, but would you give the, like the elevator pitch on what exactly is it that you do? Like I can see even just looking at your uh, website or looking at your zoom, like your peak performance coach. But I think for a lot of people, that's not tangible. Can you, yeah. is there a way, how do you explain what you do? Sure. Uh, I would say that I help very driven, ambitious individuals, mostly entrepreneurs. I do work with a lot of realtors, um, fulfill their ultimate potential. That's, I say, I'd say the end result that we're all looking for, but on a very personal level, what I get to do is work on really the mindset, the psychology of these very driven and ambitious people, many of which are the people who might be listening to this and obviously you, Kevin. And when I say get to work on the mindset, you probably have experienced this as well, but I've found that success very much is the 10 to 20% of strategy and tactics. And then 80 to 90% of it is the psychology of the individual. And that's also my educational background. So I went to Berkeley, I studied psychology and mass communications. I got to double major, uh, but it came after failing out of the pre-med program. So I want y'all to know my fan title has come with a lot of embarrassment and failure. I think like many entrepreneurs, uh, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist for a while. And I just, science and math were not my jam. I just could not cut it at Berkeley. And I remember going to my guidance counselor about my second year of college uh, crying because it was my first time like failing classes and just feeling like a complete idiot. Um, and you gotta understand prior to that, in high school, elementary school, all of that, I was like a straight A student, student body president, you know, uh, captain of the basketball team, National Honor Society. So I was so used to performing at a high level. And then I get to this place in my academic career in which I am failing for the first time ever in my life. And I'm having this sort of identity crisis. It's like, wait a minute, how did I go from being top of my class? And now I'm like feeling at the bottom of my class. And that's because I was competing with a bunch of people who are also number one in their high school. So it was just different. I was just playing a different level game. I was also with other people who are extremely intelligent and driven and hardworking. And I was very blessed, I would say, because the counselor who I spoke with looked at my grades, assessed them. And she was like, all right, Camille, let me just ask you, why do you want to be a doctor? And the very first thing that came out of my mouth, you know, I'm like a 19 year old at the time trying to figure out my life, which is a lot of pressure to put on a 19 year old. I still am baffled why we do that today. Um, and I just said, I just want to help heal people. And she looked at me with such compassion in her eyes. I'll never forget this because she goes, oh, honey, there is more than one way to heal a person. And I, at the time, I just, I, it didn't click, right? I grew up in a Filipino family. So to me, there were kind of three job choices. I could be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. That was just kind of my culture that I grew <laughs> up in. And I didn't, I didn't know what she meant by that. And 
she assessed the rest of my grades and she goes, you know what, you, you may not be doing so well at organic chemistry, but you're crushing it in psychology, you're crushing it in political science, in your debate classes. And she she pointed out all my strengths. She said, this is a time for you to focus on what you're great at and what you love to do. So why don't we work on that and pick a major that is focused on your strengths and what you're passionate about? And at the time, I didn't know that was a choice. Like I thought you go, you do the route, whatever, doctor, lawyer, engineer, you get the job, you do the job, you make the money. And I just thought that was like the one course in life. This was the first time somebody gave me permission to just say like, well, actually, you're actually really good at this. Have you ever considered that? And I didn't know whatever that was. And she gave me like a whole list of different job opportunities at the time that I could take up. I didn't know those were things. Um, so long, long answer to your very short question of, you know, what is it that I do? But that's a little bit of the background of how psychology became part and parcel, because truly I wanted to help people heal from whatever, essentially I found out just the mindset patterns, the stories. Um, and I hate to be so crass, but sort of the stupid BS that we tell ourselves yeah. that block us from that next level to use your podcast name of our life. And so that's really what I honed my expertise on is how do I help people overcome a lot of these subconscious programming, conditioning, even in our body, we carry a lot of stress. We don't even know it, but to be able to help people in that way. So that became my healing, if you will, is for high achievers to overcome that because a lot of people think, oh, yo, Kevin is crushing it in business. He's doing this, he's doing that. And they see what's on the outside, but what they often don't know is they're still human. You have no idea what's going on behind the curtain. Like they are either struggling as much as you, or they just have different stressors or, or different pressure on them. Um, and so that's where I come in for a lot yeah. of those folks who I call it, we overcompensate with work and business, <laughs> but we're, we're struggling too. Yeah. They, uh, they see the highlight reel, whether intended or not that's what, that's what people see. I like, I know for me, there's, you've got like two people on, I mean, there's lots of different kind of people that show up on social media, but some of them are like, I'm going to, I'm going to just show you the good stuff. Cause I want to be cool. And mm -hmm. then there's other people who are like, I kind of want to show the bad stuff, but I'm also not, I also don't want to give it any power. So I try not to talk about it publicly and ask right. for more of it or, and then you get the people that only talk about the bad stuff. Right. So you got these. And so I, I think you're right. People look on the outside and they see um, people, regardless of how well they are or aren't doing uh, and we just, we tell ourselves these stories about them. Uh, and so that they, they must be doing great. But the reality is even ever, even people that are doing great, aren't doing great everywhere. Like no one's ever batting a thousand all the way around. It's just, it's part of life. You know, it's the human experience. I wonder, I wonder how lucky you are. I wonder who else is a 19 year old college student that actually gets someone to have that conversation with them when they're, when they're failing and how many people would have actually just left college altogether instead yep. of like digging back in yeah well I mean that was almost my story because one of the reasons I was crying is I was working with a very limited budget so I grew up um, with a single mother and she said you know we, we've got enough for exactly four years but you know that that's it and we didn't really want to take out student loans and that whole nine thankfully you know kind of knew back then that that was going to be a, a dangerous place if I started digging myself into that sort of pattern. And so by second year, you you had to declare your major at Berkeley. And I'm thinking like, I just spent two years and I don't know what to declare. I don't even know if this is going to count. Am I going to finish in the next two years? And so I wanted to bow out, but it really, again, I don't, whether you call it luck, blessing, grace, but that counselor spoke the words that I needed in that moment to just let me know, hey, you're really great at this. Let's work on that. Like, meaning there is a there is something for you in this world based off the very unique set of skills you have. Like you don't have to just fit into the marketplace, but rather maybe you can start creating a marketplace or maybe there's a marketplace you've never even heard of. Um, but again, to a 19 year old, it just, I didn't know that was a thing. I just told him I was supposed to get a job. So when I got full permission to really study what I wanted, which ended up being both psychology and Berkeley at the time called it mass communications, which was really the study of, uh, uh, I guess you could say social psychology. So I studied marketing, branding, that whole nine. And I ended up going from failing at one major to getting two bachelor degrees in half the time because I loved it so much. I ended up doing two degrees in two years 
versus failing just barely one <laughs> in those first two years. So it's interesting when you when you start doing what you love. I know it's an old cliche, but it really didn't feel like work. Like I was so passionate about what I was studying that I was like, yeah, let's do this. Uh, I, I've got a mastermind group I'm a part of and part of um, this this quarter's meeting. We we read a book and for me it was a revisit. It's one of my favorite books ever. Uh, probably read it 10 times in the last two years called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Oh. And one of the things that Naval talks about is like when you're really... I don't remember if he uses zone of genius or, uh, or the the language that like Dan Kennedy uses, which is escaping me in this moment, um, uh, unique, you know, unique ability. But one of the things he says is like, when you're doing that thing that you're meant to do, it, it feels like play to you and it looks like work to others. And oh, I think cool. that's how you go from, gosh, I might fail out completely to, no, I'm actually going to turn this around in two years and get two degrees instead of one is because it you you absolutely landed in the right place for you. Yeah, exactly. And it is that state of flow where you're right. It's so fun for me, and but it is work. I mean, academia is, is no joke. Like the rigors of the things I need to study, the research, the papers, all of that, it was a ton of work. I had many sleepless nights, but it's a different type of work. It's not the, oh my gosh, I hate this so much. What am I doing? And one minute feels like, you know, one hour. It's the opposite where yeah. an hour goes by and I just feel like, oh my gosh, I, I can read this forever. Like, let's keep learning about this. Like, this is so fascinating to me. And I, I want to speak to whoever might be listening right now who thinks like, oh gosh, like that's not a big deal that I do that. Everybody does that. Don't underestimate what comes easy to you. Because often the thing that comes easy to you may be the very strength that somebody else is looking for. So take, for example, I know you and I talk often, but I, you know, I tell you, Kevin, the way you describe how you meet people and network with them and connect with them. I'm like, man, you're so good at it. And to you, you're like, what do you mean? I just, I'm just talking to people. And I'm like, yeah, but you understand there's so many people out there who they have a very difficult time connecting genuinely with other people, not because they're inauthentic people, but they just don't have that skill set or they don't know how to do that. Um, the fact that it comes so easy to you, I wouldn't just like overlook that. Um, yeah. I actually was sharing with somebody, a good friend of mine, um, this past, this past Friday, I was telling her about some of the conversations you and I have had and how you like really literally showed me a few, like a few things that like, quite frankly, left me speechless, uh, because I was like, Oh God, it there was a couple moments where I'm like, okay, now I've got all of these examples in my head of when my, now my life makes sense or these moments in my life <laughs> made sense after you, after you like walked me through a few things. And I was just telling her about how valuable that was and how I've, you know, really worked to like lean into that now, instead of just assuming that's just, yeah, everybody does that. Um, when in reality is not everybody does do everything. And um, everybody does have their own unique ability and things that they lean into, like, obviously, like, like you did and mm -hmm. like you're doing. So, so you get, so you get through college, what happens next? Like, do you go straight into sort of psychology? Do you, cause you mentioned marketing. Did you spend some time there? Yeah. So I, uh, the first I'd say introduction into possibly figuring out what I wanted to do. Cause it's not like I studied psychology, mass communications. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a peak performance coach. I'm going to be an executive <laughs> coach because I didn't even know that was a thing that came to me very later on. I mean, I graduated back in 2008 when the market crashed and I would say the coaching world really started getting popularized just in the last, maybe like eight, no more than 10 years. Yeah. Um, so I'm not that far out from, you know, uh, when I realized it, but it's not nearly as popular as it is now. So the first time I kind of dipped my toe into what do, what exactly do I want to do? I worked for about one year at Napa State Mental Hospital, and I worked with mentally ill ex-convicts. So, and that's because in psychology, when I was studying it, one of my favorite subjects was abnormal psychology. So getting to study individuals who had multiple personality disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. And I thought, yeah, you know, maybe I just want to be a psychiatrist. Maybe that's the field I want to go into. So I took an internship. I worked at the hospital for one year and I very quickly realized this is not the scene for me, <laughs> you know, studying in theory and then practicing it in acute care 
are two totally different things. Yeah. And that's where I think um, a lot of folks who study things and they just go, oh yeah, I totally want to do that. I'm like, that's great. Try it out for free first where you're not getting paid. And then if you still want to do it afterwards, then I would consider that for a career. Because I, I, what I realized was uh, I would say I am too soft, meaning I get so attached to people's stories and I want so much to help them. It was really hard for me to sit in the hospital setting because these patients were very extreme cases and it was Medicaid and it was uh, Medicaid and sedate. That's it. Just like keep them comfortable, give them the medication and they're just going to stay this way. There, it wasn't really rehabilitation. Right. And that was very hard for me to accept. I couldn't do it. Uh, I was just like, no, there's got to be a way. And it's like, well, you know, according to the AMA or the medical journal, this, this, and this, and this. And I think that was my first taste of saying, oh, I'm, I'm kind of rebellious. I'm kind of unemployable. Because every time they gave me a rule, I was like, no, like th there's got to be another way. Maybe there's alternative medicine or, you know, maybe you could do psychotherapy. And they're like, yeah, okay, that's great for you. But if someone's been catatonic, literally staring at a wall for 10 years straight and not speaking, you think you can break through to them in like five minutes? So that's how I knew, oh, you know, I don't think this is right for me because my colleagues who were with me were not thinking the way I was thinking. They were very much like, oh, I love this. You know, I want to continue to help people this way. And I think that was beautiful. Like that was their calling. I just quickly realized it wasn't mine. So another like, okay, I studied this thing, but I can't work in a hospital. I can't be this. What am I going to do now? And uh, when I graduated in 2008, if y'all remember, that's when the market crashed. <laughs> Now, the mass communication side stepped in and I was like, okay, I can't work in a hospital. Let me go work for big media because I thought, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to do broadcast journalism. I'm going to take my communications degree, my marketing. I'll take some of my psychology, but I'll communicate to the world because that was another thing I'd love to do is public speaking. And so I interned at CNN in Washington, D.C. So kind of picture this for a second. I go from growing up here in Los Angeles, I'm a SoCal girl go up to Berkeley, California, and I'm, I'm living kind of with hippies and all that <laughs> up there studying in academia in my little liberal academic bubble. And then now I'm living in Washington, D.C. First time living in the East Coast. I don't know what a winter is like. You know, I didn't pack any boots or coats. And I'm walking to the subway in the snow in the fall. It like flats on and I'm just like freezing my little California butt off. And I'm walking into the CNN broadcast room. I've got what I thought was my dream, you know, uh, intern position at the time. And I was working at the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer. So my job was essentially to hand him his scripts. That, that was my internship for like a whole year. And then I worked with some of the producers in what they called long form news documentary, which was basically we would take a story, kind of follow it for a couple of months. And then I worked in that, in that world. Now, this is 2008. So if you remember in the fall of 2008, that was when Barack Obama became president in his first term, that is also when the market crashed. So what a unique time <laughs> yeah. to be in Washington, D.C. Um, at CNN. And I saw everything from our first African-American president being elected and announced on our news station. In fact, I had a BlackBerry at the time. And I remember we would always get the news about 10 minutes before all of the states got their vote counts for the presidential election. So me and my producer already knew he was going to win about 10 minutes before the entire country did. So that was a, a crazy experience in and of itself. And then also the market crash. And the story that I often tell people is I remember being in the director's room because it was such a crazy day. And it was my first time really seeing the behind the scenes of what it's like to be an anchor on the news. So I know a lot of people, you know, crap on broadcast journalists and then they're like, oh, the news media, they're trying to manipulate you and this and this. I will say, that's some of that might be true, but I also give mad respect to the people who do it because that job is very difficult. Um, what a lot of folks don't know is someone like Wolf Blitzer, he's got an earpiece in and he's got a director, another journalist in his other ear. He's reading the prompter and he's trying to get the live feed of the person coming up. So you've always got about a hundred different things happening and he has to deliver it live to a worldwide audience. It's a lot of pressure that they carry. Um, so it's really interesting. And I got to see that. And the day that the market crashed, my only job was to pick up this thing called the red phone. And what the red phone was, I guess it was kind of like a little emergency line. Like if somebody needed to give breaking news, I had to tell the director right away and they had to change all of the things on the TV. That's where y'all see like, oh, breaking news. This just happened. Right. And so I just sat there and the crazy, you know, situation room is happening. People are yelling at each other. People are typing up all these different things. And one moment the the little red phone rings 
And I, I kind of freeze because, again, I'm an intern. I'm like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. And all these really professional East Coaster, you know, news people are looking at me like, pick up the damn phone. Like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh. and so I pick up the phone and someone just yells at me like, tell Dave, I think that was the director's name at the time, tell Dave the market's going to effing crash. And I was like, uh, hello. They're like, just tell him. And then they just hung up and everyone's looking at me like, and? Um, and I, in a very shaky voice, I just say, uh, someone said, tell Dave the market's going to crash. And I swear the room went from noise and movement to just eerie dead silence. Like no one spoke because I had no idea what it really meant. And they all looked at Dave and then Dave just sort of put his head down and then he's like, all right, run it. And then everyone went back to work. And then a couple seconds later, I just see like, you know, U.S. market hits biggest stock market crash ever, blah, 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 blah. I'm just standing there like, did I, did I just kind of become the intermediary for that news to break, which would change the trajectory of so much in that year, right? Um, so that was another step into, well, is this what I want to do? And again, it was another one of like, no, I can't handle the stress. Like, <laughs> this is too much. And going back to my rebellious nature, when I found out how the news was really uh, written, because I got to sit in some of those copy rooms, um, truthfully, Kevin, I, I, I knew that, oh, I'm going to be that one person who goes off script and not wanting to read what's on the prompter and like say something else. Cause I just, I can't. And I think that was the beginning of me realizing, I think I just need to do something else. Cause I wasn't very good at following corporate rules, if you will. And yeah. my first job actually that I could find after that whole market crash, cause it was a very difficult job market was at a nonprofit uh, very close to my hometown. And I did the one thing I didn't want to do at the time, which was I was a director of middle school and high school youth groups to help them fundraise for six kids in our community. Now, when I say it's the one thing I didn't want to do is because when I was 22, the last thing I wanted to do was work with high schoolers and middle school. That was just something in my head at the time. I was like, I don't want to work with kids. They annoy me. Um, and life would have it. That was exactly where I was placed. It was like, all right, your first job is with middle school and high school students, <laughs> and you're going to work at a nonprofit. Now, here's where it kind of took a turn for me. While my job at the nonprofit was to help these kids learn how to create fundraisers, what I quickly realized were two things. Number one, I loved working alongside with the CEO. So the founder of the organization was the one who found me. She hired me. And then I ended up becoming kind of her right wing woman, if you will. Um, and I got an insider's view into this is what it's like to run your own organization. Like it is so much stress. It's hard running a team. It's hard having a vision. It's a hard, you know, being the only person that everybody goes to, but I loved supporting her and kind of being in the room with her and being like, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Are you okay? And I would just have insight on things that maybe she couldn't see. And that was my way of contributing back to her personally. Now on the kids end, number two, what I realized was while they were doing these fundraisers for other kids in the community, I was kind of training them like little business people because they would do these lemonade stands. And I would say, all right, here's your inventory. Here's the cost of your inventory. Give me your uh, your employee schedule, like hey, they're volunteers. Now tell me how much profit you're going to have at the end. And then once we're done with that, we're going to calculate it and we're going to donate it to the families. But I was teaching them how to run like little businesses, if you will. And that sort of kind of set me on this path like, oh, Maybe there's different ways to serve and help people. And it wasn't until I hit a breaking point when I was about 27. So give a cup, give a, uh, I'd say like five or six years from that nonprofit work. I ended up working in the Philippines. I did branding um, and marketing development out there for a while because I had a family member who had a business out there, worked alongside another entrepreneur, absolutely loved it, got to travel a little bit. But when I came back to the States, I felt really lost. I was like, okay, that was a cool stint. I did you know, uh, leadership development for a nonprofit for a while. I did marketing and branding in the Philippines. But now that I'm back in LA, now what? And I remember feeling a little lost. And I was like, you know what? I've always loved reading self-development books. Let me actually try to apply some of this work. So, I, you know, I always read like the Tony Robbins, the Oprah's, the Deepak Chopra's, things like that. But I never did the work. I was always a fan of the quotes, a fan of the books. But I didn't invest in myself, if I'm being honest. Like I... I felt good. I did the feel good stuff, but I didn't do the uncomfortable stuff yeah. that they would teach. 
And one day when I was uh, doing a little bit of a gig for a friend, um, they own real estate businesses and I was doing some of their marketing and branding, just kind of in between figuring out what I really wanted to do next. Uh, I went to my desk and I got this Tony Robbins flyer for Unleash the Power Within, his premier seminar where he would kind of go four days of like intense jumping, <laughs> as people like to call it. It's so walking. much jumping. It is. Have you been to one of them? Yeah. Yeah. So much jumping. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was at a place in my life where I was feeling really lost. I had just gone out of a relationship and I was feeling really hurt by that. So there were just a lot of things where I think I was just at that age of what am I going to do with my life again? Um, even though, again, I, I had this great degree from Berkeley, I still wasn't sure what to do with it. And I was like, you know what? Let me just go. Whatever little money I had saved, I'll buy this ticket. I'll fly to Chicago. That's where his uh, seminar was at the time. I'm single. Let's go. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, as you what, know. What year was this? 2015? <laughs> no, I think the year 2013. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Just curious, because I, I went to Chicago, and I think it was 2015 was the UPW I went to. I think, I'll have to go back and double check. Anyways, okay. sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off there. I was just no, was curious. No, no. I, I did go back a couple more times. So mm. if you were in any of his LA UPWs, I did go to that one. Did you ever go to that? No, just uh, just Chicago, which I think technically was like Naperville or something like that, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. It's, it's okay. like some suburb of Chicago. At any rate, okay. um, so... Okay, so you go to Tony Robbins event. What happens there? Yeah, so I I thought it was going to be like a sit down, here's your desk, like take a couple of notes, like Jim Rohn style or something like that. And I get there and it's like a four day rave. I was like, what is this thing? Like I, I come in, there's all these people who are on the seminar juice, right? They got their little name tags. They're like yelling and screaming. I'm like, the music is bumping. The room is super cold. I'm like, what is happening? And you get in and people are like pumping their fists or jumping. I was like, this is not what I expected at all. And I'll be honest, the first day I was super resistant. I was like, I'm not going to do all of this. Like, I'm going to just sit in the back of the room. This is cool. I'm going to high five a couple people. <laughs> but then, you know, he comes out on stage and he's like, he's this huge energy. He's a big person, but he's this big energy. And, uh, and again, I'll be honest, I was very resistant. I was like, ah, he's just a good speaker. He's just saying all this stuff. But as I was really listening to him, I was like, oh, no, this man has a gift. Like, I get it now. Like, I get what people are saying, not because I was trying to drink the Kool-Aid, but if you ever actually go to it, like he has a very genuine heart about what he's doing. Like, yeah, he's gifted at marketing. And yes, he is a very gifted speaker, but he really is helping people on a super deep level. And it was probably by about day three um, where that's where it sort of broke open for me because he did say, you know, what you put into this is what you're going to get out of it. So I was like, you know what? I'm here. I might as well play full out. Like I'm wasting my time and my money if I rip myself from this experience. And so I did. And that third day, there was just a moment. I'll never forget it. At the time, there was 5,000 people in this room, but it was a single floor. He he wasn't in stadiums yet. So I stood in the back of the room and I just have this thing. Every time I go to a seminar or speaking engagement, I love standing in the back because I like to kind of see the scene that's all set up. And I was standing in the back by the camera people. And there must have been kind of this straight line down the aisle between me and Tony because he was standing in the stage. I was just standing in the back kind of just like memorized, uh, mesmerized. And the way I describe it to people is as I was watching him do his, his thing, like it's as if everything kind of went quiet for me. I didn't hear the crowd. I didn't hear the music. And I just sort of felt this pulse of electricity down from the tips of my toes that went all the way up to the top of my head. And it's as if I heard a whisper saying, and this is exactly what I want you to do. And I couldn't believe it. Like it kind of just hit me and I was like, that's it. That is where all of this thing that I had been studying between psychology and mass communications and understanding people and working with entrepreneurs and it was finally coming together because I didn't know that executive coaching, performance coaching was a thing, honestly, until I went to one of his seminars. And the speaking and the transformation that he was doing, that healing aspect that was the first time I had been exposed to that. I was like, that's it. And so I felt like I found my path. Like this is the thing I couldn't name in college, but it's brought me to this point. And then 30 seconds later, the second thought I had after like, yeah, I found my life calling. That's it. This is my passion. Let's go. I'm all in. My second thought was, yeah, Camille, but he's a six foot seven white guy with a booming voice. 
you are a five foot two woman of color with a small voice. Ain't nobody going to hear you. You're not going to be taken seriously on stage. I kid you not, Kevin. That's exactly what I thought. I couldn't believe it. And I left that room. I walked out and I just felt so depressed. I had went from, I found my life's calling to, yeah, but you're not worthy of it. So don't even try in, in all of like one minute. And that's when I started learning the power of the subconscious story. I didn't know that story lived there. Because if I'm being honest, on the forefront of my mind, I don't believe that to be true. I've seen so many examples of incredible men and women who probably do look like me, who have done very well for themselves in that industry. But I just, I didn't hear that in the moment. Because sometimes in your moment of greatest revelation or your moment of greatest stress, your old patterns, your old stories, just boom, they just come out. Um, And that's where I started doing the work, like the deep work, like, uh uh-oh, if I'm really going to answer what I consider God's calling on my life, then I've got to get really in touch with the stuff that's been, I call it the demons inside of me <laughs> yeah, that have just been plaguing me for too long. Cause I can't help other people if I, I don't even know how to help myself. So I started coaching myself first. I started investing in coaching, doing the work. I can't even tell you how much money I have invested and continue to invest to keep developing myself. And that's eventually I launched the coaching business in 2016, but it took me some time to get to that point, a good three years of just like investing, investing, studying, studying. And then I launched my own practice. That's awesome. So, so 2016 though, that's still, so that's still seven years though, that you've seven years ago that you launched this from doing, I shouldn't be doing public math, but uh, <laughs> seven ish years ago that, that you launched that. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, you mentioned before, like you kind of saw yourself as like, I'll be a speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I know that obviously think that's changed a lot uh, over the years. Like not that you don't do speaking, but how is your, like, since from the time of launch to where we are today, we're recording this back half of 2023. Like, how have you seen your, your, your coaching business kind of evolve and change? That's a great question. So when I started uh, one of the fastest ways to create success, as I was taught, was to model it. And so that's what I did. I I studied the people that I admired, the Tony Robbins, the Lisa Nichols, like all these famous motivational speakers who also had coaching programs. I just tried to model them. So I would go out and I would do seminars. Uh, At the time I was working in Monrovia, California, I had an office space there with some of my real estate friends. And so I would host in-person workshops. I would invite people through Eventbrite um, and they would get on my roster. They would become clients and I would do one-to-one coaching with them. And eventually, as I got more and more of these one-to-one business coaching clients at the time, then I started creating sort of this group mastermind uh, as a way to scale and grow. But a lot of my stuff was very much in-person workshops, or I would speak at other people's offices, or I would do speaking engagements, uh, have a lot of real estate clients, so at their offices. And that's how I started, was just in-person speaking, build my list, um, and then eventually get clients from there. And then I had a lot of private clients who they also had followings. And so they'd invite me to come out and speak to some of their team members, so on and so forth. Then naturally COVID happened. Um, and I, I remember because I had so many speaking engagements lined up for 2020. In fact, I was supposed to get married in the Philippines in 2020. <laughs> and uh, my husband and I, obviously, we changed our plans um, after we flew back from the Philippines in January of 2020 locking in the location, and then everything changed. But I very quickly knew like, okay, so I'm not going to be able to do in person, what would it look like then to do this virtually? Like I just knew it's going to have to shift very, very quickly. And thank goodness for Zoom. Um, It was a saving grace. I was starting to Zoom in 2019, Uh, not Zoom, but I was doing like Facebook lives. And then I think Zoom, I, I started like meddling with it in like 2019 for group coaching. And then by the time pandemic hit, I just knew, all right, I'm just going to shift this all into virtual seminars. Um, and then that's obviously that kind of became the trend. So I got paid to do virtual speaking engagements and I sort of had to master, okay, being present on a stage is one thing. That's a different art form. Yeah. Virtually, when you have an audience that's like chatting and then interacting with them and then also being on the screen and then doing your PowerPoint, that's a whole different skill set. So that was just another thing that shifted. So essentially what happened was I went from mostly in-person speaking engagements as a way to get clients to now 
virtual webinars, which has now become kind of the commonplace thing. Um, and then more of a focus on my group mastermind coaching. And then I only take a handful of one-to-one private clients. So that's, it's sort of flipped before it was really big in person, big speaking engagements, one-to-ones, and then a little bit of group. Now it's like big group mastermind. Cause I do zoom all the time now, uh, a handful of one-to-ones. And then once in a while, the big speaking engagement, which, cause it's coming back again, yeah. or at least that's what I've noticed. The in-person people are getting more comfortable. Definitely. Um, so because let me ask you this question. So you obviously, you get to talk to a lot of people, different industries. Uh, re, you know, obviously I'm in real estate. You and I haven't talked about real estate even once in nine months. Uh, <laughs> so and that tells me that the industry doesn't matter. Um, what are, what are some of the more common, I don't want to use the word blocks, but I'll use the word blocks that you see come up, whether with your clients or just maybe even people you've just sort of spoken to over the years that that people that own businesses what are some of the more common things that that you see people sort of dealing with that it's like if you just made this tweak or if you overcome this one thing like it would it would help a lot of people to kind of move forward it's a great question three things kind of come to mind in no order of um, importance or popularity as far as block if that was the right term for it but one is imposter syndrome uh, okay. I when people join my list, one of the first questions I ask them, my email list, one of the first questions I ask them is, you know, what are you most challenged by right now in your mindset? Like, what can I help you with? And I get so many folks saying imposter syndrome. And that always fascinates me because I'm kind of curious, like, well, what, what exactly do you mean? And as I dig deeper for some folks, it's, oh, I, I don't think I'm capable of this or I'd like to do that. But it's kind of like, well, who am I? to do that. So I see that a lot. And for some people, imposter syndrome stems from number two uh, that I see is a common thing, the comparison trap. So they start comparing themselves to other realtors or they compare themselves to other realtors, highlight reels to kind of quote you from earlier. And then they think like, well, how come he's doing this and that he's not even that great, or she's not even that blah, blah, blah. And they're like crushing it in their numbers. What's wrong with me? And then once they start asking that question, it's very dangerous that what's wrong with me. And often what I say is the the primary question you use, like, oh, what's wrong with me? Think of your brain as a Google search engine, and it's just going to follow your prompt. So if you ask, okay, well, what's wrong with me? It's like, all right, let me tell you all of the things that's wrong with you. <laughs> Have a seat. We'll go yeah. over the list. Right. So that's why, you know, I understand your end goal is to try to quote unquote, fix that or find a solution to it, but it's a really inefficient way of getting to that solution. Cause the mind is going to only do what you ask it to do, which is I will get you the list of what's wrong with you. Cause that's really what you asked me. That say that first of all, that statement right there alone is I think so valuable. The mind is only going to do whatever you ask it because you can ask it to do something negative, like answer, fill in the blank, what's wrong with me? Or you could ask it a more productive question, something that would actually get you, move you forward towards whatever your goal is, right? Yeah. And I know and from personal experiences, like you you help me to see that, like you help, you help to ask that better question. Mm-hmm. Well, and- you know, it's to no fault of our own sometimes until you're aware, by the way, then it is your fault, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> but often you're just operating from default is what I call it. Uh, like I had that default pattern that I didn't know about, which was instead of asking a better question of how can I become the best possible coach, speaker, let's say uh, transformational peak performance coach uh, for the people that I'm called to serve. I asked the question, well, who am I to do this? Because I'm only 5'2", and Tony Robbins is 6'7". I did the comparison trap, right? I thought because he was taller and bigger and a certain race that he had a leg up. Now, whether or not that's actually true, it was very true in my mind. So regardless of external circumstances, I already uh, tripped myself up. And when I finally overcame that story, realized that's not a block. And, And this here's, by the way, how I got over that, another great person came along my path. So, so blessed again. And when I told them that exact story and what I was feeling, they looked me dead in the eye, just like my counselor did, and said, you realize that Mother Teresa was like barely five feet tall and she changed the world. And she barely spoke, by the way. And I I don't know why, but that just really stuck with me. It's like, 
duh. <laughs> why, why was I saying that? Oh, because I'm short. I can't have impact on people. He was like, and she barely spoke. And then he said, it has nothing to do with your physical size. It's the size of what's in here. So do you truly believe this is what you're called to do? And I said, yeah, with all my heart. And he's like, okay, then do what you need to do to become that person. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's all it took. Sometimes it just takes one conversation with one person who can see past your fears, who can see past the BS you tell yourself. And in your case, I was able to just objectively see the question that perhaps wasn't serving you. And then I was able to say, well, what's a better question? What's an even better question you could be asking yourself? So I would say that, so those two for sure, imposter syndrome, when you think for whatever reason, you can't be this person, do that thing, give yourself essentially an excuse uh, to not fulfill your dreams. Number two, you fall into a comparison trap. You compare down instead of comparing up. And what that means is you look at other people and you put yourself down. I'm not doing what they're doing. They're doing better than me. And then you're doing less than. Versus comparing up, which is, oh man, if Kevin can do this, that's super inspiring. Heck, I'm smarter than that guy. I can do this, <laughs> right? Or whatever the case may be. Uh, and I'm not saying they are smarter than you, but that would be an example of comparing up, right? It's like, hey, how inspiring he or she is showing me what's possible. And that's what I needed to see with Tony was, man, look at this. He didn't even finish. He didn't go to college. He he barely finished high school and he was extremely poor and he had all these things against him. Like I didn't see that part of his story. All I saw was the outside stuff that I thought gave him a leg up. But I also didn't things that, see the things that held him back. And yet he overcame those. And I was like, oh, I have no excuse. I have two degrees. I have a great family background. Like that that should not be the thing that holds me back was seeing external um, aspects of him. So changing that story was essential. So we've got this imposter syndrome. We got the comparison trap. And I would say the third and final one, and it's what I created a program around because since COVID, this has probably been one of the biggest issues with mindset that I've seen is focus. There are so many distractions, so many shiny objects, especially in real estate, because I feel like realtors get targeted for a lot of the softwares yes. that people have. <laughs> there's always another lead gen company. There's another CRM. There's another ad thing. There's another do, 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 do. And I coach so many high-performance realtors that it's like they, they spend way too much time analyzing things that really it's like, oh, just put it on a Google sheet. Like you don't even need that app yet. Like just get your basic CRM there, do the basic calls, like fundamentals right now. But focus is such an issue. And when I say focus, it's really about, you got to eliminate the distractions, figure out what is super essential to you, what is vital to you, your business, your family, your life at this point in time. And this season, just focus on that. Because if you learn how to harness the power of your focus, you win. Because the current environment that we're in is no longer the information age. Um, I think we're well past that. Um, it's more the attention economy, yeah. if anything. And the reason I say that is because it's not about, oh, how do I get more information? I think when I was in high school, I was taught how to search on Google and how to find stuff. Now things are going to find you and you don't have to look for it, right? You, know, look, you look like you were going to say something. No, that, that is so true. I, I would agree with that completely. It's it's not the information. All of the information is out there. It's accessible to everyone at any time, uh, no matter what, like 24-7. Couple, a couple things that you said that I just want to kind of circle back to. My business, uh, in regards to number to point number two, my business partner, Fred, is always, whenever we're talking with our with our team, with our group of agents at an event, and talking about like, hey, you're going to hear people on stage and this is going to be part of their story. You know, one of the things he always says is, listen, you can get inspired. Or you can get pissed off. Either one. It, it, both of them are okay. Get inspired by the person or get pissed off. Like inspired by their story that you can do the same thing or pissed off that they did it and you're not. And yeah. now, and you know, and get let it give you permission to go out and do it. Uh, so I, I love that on point number two that you made. And then the the last one, the focus, you know, you and I have had a couple conversations recently around the, the concept of 10X is better, is easier than 2X, uh, the book by Ben Hardy and, and Dan Sullivan. And he starts off that book talking about the David. So, and how Michelangelo said, simply, I just, it wasn't hard to, to, to sculpt the David. I just, I just cut away everything that wasn't the David. Yeah. To me, that's focus. Like that is. Yep. insane focus on i just got rid of everything that wasn't actually the david uh and that mm -hmm. is 
I feel like that's the one thing that we can do every day in our, in our quote unquote job is if we can just have a small amount of focus, even an hour a day of focus, but two or three hours a day, like that moves the needle for almost all of us, because again, it's the attention economy. So there's all these things vying for our attention that if we give into it, it's going to keep us anything but focused. Right. So I I love that last point. Yeah. I think if, if not just realtors, but any high performance individual, gosh, just any person, but really, if you're looking to up your game, take it to that next level. The, the main thing that I would say, if you could put a bunch of your energy into is that power of focus and the two aspects of focus that I think may be very helpful for someone who's like, yeah, but I don't even know what to focus on is clarity and simplicity. Like if I were to just give you two things, it's number one, get hyper clear on what is the end goal? What, what is your vision? Because uh, without clarity, focus doesn't really matter because you're not even clear what you're creating. So to go to your example of Michelangelo creating the David, he had a clear vision. He's creating the David. There is a sculpture of a person that he envisions, but not just any sculpture. I mean, uh, to the T with the muscle definition and the positioning of the hands that it's anatomically correct. Like he had a vision for the quality of the sculpture that he wanted to create. So that's important too, is knowing in a high definition, essentially this vision that you have for your family life, for your business, like what do you want? How do you want to design your life? And once you have the clarity of that vision, I would say the next step is keep it as simple as possible. What is the simplest next step for you to take? Because then what happens is I see people go, okay, I want this and this. And they're like, all right, I'm gonna need all of these things. Uh, to to get this. And just like you said with Michelangelo, he said, all right, when he has clear vision, the first step was not about adding things. The first step was, oh, let me get rid of the things that are not the David. So in simplicity, perhaps another word you could be using is the elimination of. What are the things in your business that you actually need to start eliminating that are not adding to that bottom line that you're looking to create? What are the things in your daily life that really are not dramatically moving you towards that end goal? What are the things in your habits that are not contributing to this vision? It's time to eliminate that. So focus is going to start with clarity. And the second step is going to be simplicity or elimination. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. Um, I think, I think anybody listening to this, who's ever run any sort of business or, or done anything I think can relate to that and has had that challenge. If not having it currently, <laughs> it, like it's a reoccurring, it's definitely a reoccurring theme uh, in whether business or life or not. Again, I mentioned we, you and I, I don't think have even talked about real estate in nine months. Um, <laughs> so it's really not about business. It is, but it's not. Um, I mean, in fact, I, th- I told you that on our first call, like one of the things that I was like, I got, I got to call, I got to call her. I don't know why, but I got to call her. Part of it was Josh said to me, dude, she wouldn't even talk to me about business for the first couple of months. It really pissed me off. And then, then it was like, uh, then I turned a corner and I was like, that's good. Like, I don't need, I don't need to know. There's only so many strategies. Like there's only so (laughs) many ways under the sun to, to do things. And we all know the things to do. So if we know the things to do, then there's something preventing us from doing that. So what like let's work on those things, which is what I which is what I appreciate you about you is that we've worked on those things and we'll continue to work on them probably for a long time, uh, and that's those are the conversations I think we have to have. Yeah, and it, and thank you for bringing that up because now that I'm even reflecting back on you're talking about my journey with Joshua Smith right of GSD yeah. is in in almost I'd say almost all of my conversations, unless I'm guiding somebody on how to build a coaching business, because I know how to do that, right? So I can actually give you the tactics and the strategy for that. But for the most part, for my entrepreneurs who are not doing that, it is all on mindset. And at this point, I consider myself a perception and elimination specialist. <laughs> that's, so that's, good. that's really what I'm doing is I just, I help you either enhance your perspective on a situation or a thing or whatever it is that you're looking at. And then I'm perhaps even helping you eliminate a lot of the fluff that just doesn't need to be a part of your high performance journey, because it's so different when you have somebody who is 
objectively, basically emotionally unattached to your situation. Because I hear yeah. it all the time, like, well, gosh, Coach K, now that you say it, it seems so simple. Like, duh, why didn't I see that? And I'm like, well, you can't because you're in it. And that's not your fault. It's hard because you're emotionally attached to it. I'm not. My job is easier because I'm sitting in the skybox. I get to watch you play. And of course, I can see the left defensive tackle coming at you. You can't because you're th you're focused throwing the ball to whoever your running back or, or your wide receiver. Um, so of course, I can tell you like, hey, that left side's about to come at you. And in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, duh. But it's like you're too focused on your game right now. You weren't going to see that, but I can see it because I'm up here. So, so true. And and by the way, just for the listener that doesn't know, uh, Joshua Smith, like, yeah, I didn't repeat anything that he told me in confidence. He actually said that while we were recording a podcast. Yeah. Uh, and I know he said it in public multiple times. So um, maybe we'll link to the show notes to, to that last episode with Josh. He's been on a few times. Um, but yeah, I would say too, that's like, that's my experience with you is number one, you ask me questions that I'm not asking myself about whatever the situation is, whatever the thing is that we happen to be talking about that week or that month or kind of like that theme, you find a way to put it into those words into a question that really brings it down to a simple level. And then by the, by the time we're done, you've also asked me questions that make it very clear as to where I go next. And I think that is for sure, for sure that's an art form. Uh, and that is like, that is helping somebody to, to do work to, if you're, if you're willing to actually participate anyways. And I know that's what I appreciate about you is like, you'll ask me the questions that nobody else is asking me because why would they? Right. And it's like, and it's the question I want to ask. Like, I want to think about it. Like I, I want to think about the hard questions because I, I firmly believe that it's really not about the strategy or the next tactic or the software or whatever wants my attention right now or wherever my ADD wants to go. It's not about that. It's about, it's always about something deeper that's below the surface. Right. Right. Well, and if someone's listening and they go, well, asking questions, can't I just find questions to reflect on online? Absolutely. Just like you can find information on how to run a great business online. Like all of this stuff that we've ever talked about, what you'll see on stages, it's all Googleable, <laughs> if that's a word. Yeah. But what I've experienced personally, um, for me, and then also in working with clients, is the transformation comes from this sort of relational walk with another person, particularly somebody who is dedicated to what I call kind of being in your corner. Like my job, as I see it, the minute I engage with someone like you, Kevin, is all right, I'm in the ring with you, but I'm in your corner. So if I see you fighting and you're starting to tip, like I'm going to yell the next thing <laughs> out to you because you can't, you're weary already. You're like, oh, I'm just going to throw my jab and uh, sorry for the overuse of metaphors, but it's just the way I think, um, you know, I'm just throw my arm here and I'm like, no, this, this is going to come your way. You need to duck or we need to take a break or we need to stitch you up or whatever, but you have to have a team around you, especially if you're looking to play at an extremely high level. And when I say team, you don't have to hire like a thousand people and have a posse, but nobody does this alone. And I think that's really important, especially for the person listening who's like, yeah, I want to get to this level and get to that level. Okay, then start thinking about, well, who's my success squad? And, and be honest with yourself. Like, who are the people that I'm spending the most time with? How am I investing in myself? Am I surrounding myself with just similar voices all the time too? Because I will say, I know there's a big movement on find the like-minded individuals. And I think that's really important. But as a leader, it's also good to have people who maybe don't think like you, who can provide a different opinion because you don't want a bunch of yes people just because it makes you feel good. That's a different level of self-development. But having the person who's going to challenge you a little bit, maybe having someone who's going to provide a different perspective, and it doesn't mean you need to agree with them, but it's going to give you a much better, I'd say, outlook on the varied personalities that you're going to be dealing with not just your clients, but even the team that you're building. Yeah. So true. I, uh, I'm a big fan of if, at least asking yourself questions, trying to understand the other, understand the other side of an argument. Uh, but for sure, surrounding yourself with people that don't just completely act and think like you yeah. I think that first of all, that'd be boring. But second of <laughs> all, that's just, 
there's never a good end to only being around like-minded quote unquote. Like I understand like the heart of it, where it's yes. coming from is like, you need a support group and all that stuff, but it's such a slippery slope. If you only hang out with people that think like you, then it's like, it's kind of like if you just, okay, great. We should all just read the same 10 books and nobody should have their own original thought and challenge mm -hmm. what they believe. I feel, I feel like so many of the good things I've gotten out of life have come from me directly challenging what I thought I thought. And, yeah. and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not real sure where I was going with that other than agree with that. Well, yeah. so Camille, before, before I talk about December, which, which I want to talk about in a moment, um, I'm sure there's somebody listening going, Oh, I want to know more. Like, I want to hear more. What's if somebody wants to connect with you or kind of see what you're up to take a sneak peek at what you do, what's, what's the best way for people to do that? Uh, best way for you to, I call it get to know me, is just Google Coach Camille Rose uh, on YouTube. Uh, so as you can see my name right here, go on YouTube, or you can even put it youtube.com slash Coach Camille Rose. It's Camille with a K. And I recommend them just watch a couple of the videos on there. Subscribe if you want to, you don't have to, but um, watch a couple of the videos just to get a feel for my style of how I talk, what my philosophies are on mindset. And then if it calls to you, reach out to me directly. Um, and then me or my team, uh, we can get a conversation going. But I think that's a good way to start. It's just kind of watch some of the stuff I talk about. Awesome. Well, what we'll do is we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put a link there in the show notes. And then um, I'm excited because get to I get to, for, for I think it'll probably end up being the first time, unless something changes prior to that, um, get to see you at, at NLA Live. Uh, mm -hmm. in Scottsdale this December. So December 5th and 6th, as many of you know, uh, already we are hosting Next Level Agents Live again for the first time since 2019. Uh, and Camille has uh, graciously agreed to come out and speak to, speak to our group. So it's going to be an awesome day. We've got a few other really good speakers, a lot more announcements to come, but I'm excited to have you on stage, you know, uh, selfishly because because I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be in the front row taking notes. I, it's my party, and I'm running the event, and I'll be <laughs> I'll be in the front row taking notes, guaranteed. Uh, and so anybody who wants to hear more about Camille and what she's doing in person as well, you'll be able to see her in Scottsdale this December. So yeah, I'm excited I'm for stoked. that. Yeah, Me I'm too. really excited because I yeah, like I said, you know the the in person stuff was where I started. We kind of took a pause with that for COVID, so it's nice to be able to get back into the in person gatherings again in the rhythm it's i mean I, i'm grateful for technology that unites us but there's something really special about just being in the same room um and having those conversations with people so there's a balance fun. i agree uh technology's great zooms are great phone calls are great and it's only it's so much better when you can mix it in with like face to face yeah. and so i'm ex i'm excited for it yeah very cool i'm still right on well, we'll put the YouTube link in the show notes uh, and anybody you guys like, I can just tell you from personal experience, um, you know, reach out, pay, like watch a couple of videos, see if anything resonates. Um, I can say wholeheartedly without, without any holding back that Camille has completely uh, made a huge impact in my life personally, been through tons of personal challenges this year, this year as I've shared some of them on the podcast. And in a lot of ways, it's still been a very easy year, even though there's been some heavy stuff going on, uh, you know, with, uh, with my heart and a, and a few things. And somebody asked me the other day, but like, how's it going? I was like, man, I don't, I just can't even imagine if I'd been facing this year without you. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm honored. I'm honored. And it really is to go back to that moment I had with my counselor and, and she asked me why, why do you want to do this? And I, you know, without coercion, without trying to show face, I was just like, I want to help heal people. But again, I just, I didn't know what that meant. And in my own small way, I like to think that my big why is to just heal those mindset patterns and things that we've got. And maybe that would, you know, even speed up somebody else's healing, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, so you can get to what I consider your God-given potential. And so you know, I'm grateful that I got to work with you. And that's why when pe people come to me, that's why I say, look, watch the videos. If it resonates, you know, reach out because I am not a hard sell. Like 
I am not everybody's flavor and I'm okay with that. But if you come my way, I will do my best to fulfill the why um, that I think has been placed on my heart to, to help you, to support you. So I'm grateful we've become good friends too, Kevin. <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. Well, I'm excited for December 5th and 6th and uh, Camille, I'll talk to you again next time without an audience present and uh, and listening in very soon and uh next level angels podcast we'll we'll see you guys next week thanks a bunch you're welcome thanks guys thank you for tuning in to today's podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you're looking for even more valuable content and resources to help you grow your business then we invite you to join our community next level agents at exp realty by joining us you'll gain access to exclusive benefits like live trainings events masterminds weekly zooms digital downloads, and so much more, all designed to help you grow your business. To learn more and become a part of our community, simply visit kevinandfred.com forward slash contact and get in touch with us today. Of course, if you're not quite ready to take the plunge and join our community, that's no problem at all. You can still access all of our great content for free right here on this podcast. And again, we thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing to bring you valuable insights and more advice in the future.